0: I'm happy to say that in 2018, the Kalanga full Bible was translated, and there was much rejoicing, and uh, the lost book then has returned to right. the Kalanga people.
1: Welcome to the Essentially Translatable podcast brought to you by Lutheran Bible Translators. I'm Richard Dusky,
2: And I'm Emily Wilson.
1: And as we reach the end of October, we mark the celebration of the Reformation in the Lutheran Christian tradition and in a lot of other traditions, too, marking that point now more than 500 years ago where the church began to reflect and say we want to return to God's word as the center of our life as the Christian church and understand our walk in faith with Christ according to God's word.
2: And as you listeners know, we've been celebrating all year long the 500th anniversary of Martin Luther translating the New Testament into the vernacular German. And this is just so vital in in our history to be able to see this focus on reaching out with God's Word in a language that we understand best, and how that's how our church was built, was people accessing God's Word and growing deeper in it. And that's actually what's the focus of this episode today— with Dr. Mike Rodewald, current Executive Director for Lutheran Bible Translators. And he's sharing a little bit about the language community that we served alongside for many years, the Kalanga in Botswana. And they actually have a rich history of a lost book in their faith tradition background, how they were able to communicate with God. And there was a barrier, there was a gap, and how that all unfolded with the missionaries in that context.
1: Yeah, so I had the chance to talk with Mike about some of the research he did, digging in further to some of the oral traditions about that lost book history with the Kalanga. And it's really beautiful that in 2018, when the full Bible was dedicated in the Kalanga language, part of the theme was the lost book has returned. So we're really looking forward to sharing with you some more about uh, this history and how God was at work among the Kalanga people many years ago. All right, we are here in the studio with Dr. Mike Rodewald, Executive Director of Lutheran Bible Translators. Welcome back to the podcast. Yeah, thanks,
0: Rich. Nice to be here with you again.
1: All right. Lutheran Bible Translators is releasing a great little video we made a few years back called The Lost Book, and we wanted to talk some today about and kind of go behind the scenes of uh, what eventually shows up in that only eight-minute movie, The Lost Book, um, set from your time in Botswana and obviously well before that. So, uh, Let's kind of go in deep dive, talk to us about what people are going to see in the Lost Book, and then let's just kind of take a deep dive on how we got there. And
0: Yeah, thanks, yeah. Rich. I just want to acknowledge first, Lutheran Bible Translators, uh, our purpose is to provide God's Word to really remote people groups, people groups that are quite different than ourselves here in the United States, and the Kalanga people in Botswana, Zimbabwe, are one such people group. And uh, I worked among the, the Kalanga people for about tw- uh, 15 years. And when I first went, you know, there was the, the language system was not well sorted out. did some research on how the language system should work and started finding some mysteries inside. I heard some stories about the possibility through oral traditions that something had happened in the past. And I found them interesting but kind of dismissed uh, that these stories from people, are they made-up stories? Are they Where did they actually come from? But as I continued on over time, the intrigue kept coming over and over again through a couple of pre- people I worked with, and Reverend Motibi was one of them, who was very adamant that these stories that he had collected through other generations that had come up to him, they were very he was very adamant that these were true stories. And because of that, I respected what he had to say. And I listened to some of the stories and looked at them further and kind of retranslated them back into English. And all of a sudden started seeing a pattern there that, well, what if something here is more than just some stories that have been dismissed throughout the ages by especially missionaries that had come before us. So anyway, one of the interesting linguistic features that I found was they had two words for God. Okay. They had a word, it was Nzimu, and that word actually means ancestor. And Nzimu, when you capitalized it, then it was really referred to the creator God mm-hmm. and the spirit, spiritual God, the mm-hmm. understanding that Nzimu created the heavens and the the earth. But they also had another name for God, and that was Mwali. And that particular term was called the name of God. It wasn't Nzimu, but it was who Nzimu was, and that was the name of God. And this is what the oral traditions were saying. And they were very adamant that Mwali was considered to be their protector. He was a special god for the Kalanga people, the people who spoke Kalanga. And they had a whole institution around Mwali. They had priests who served Mwali, and uh, Mwali's places were up on the high hills, and Mwali would talk to the people, and uh, he would inform the people of how they should act and how they should be. And when enemies came, then Mwali protected the people from harm. And uh, it was a very special relationship with that. And they respected that relationship, and they showed that linguistically— By using a plural of respect when they, for elders, for other people within the culture, if you respected someone, you used a plural form to respect that. So they used this plural pronoun to refer to Mwali. They uh, did not use that pronoun to refer to Nzimu because Nzimu was just something that was way out there, far Mm -hmm. away, but Mwali was God very close In fact, one person said, well, if you look at the Hebrew history, we treat Mwali very much like Yahweh. And that intrigued me. And so I started asking more questions. As I asked the questions, other oral traditions started coming forth. Mm -hmm. There was one oral tradition about a man named Nue, who hit the sea and people crossed over the sea to get to the other side of, of this body of water. Hmm. I thought, that well, that's kind of interesting. In the institutions themselves, in the days of old, they used to circumcise youth on the eighth day. They had to take their shoes off when they went to Mwali's places as a way of respecting. They sacrificed to Mwali. And then I heard a tradition that at one time from another people group called the Balemba, that at one time they had a scroll and the priests used to read from the scroll on the hills. And then the Arabs stole the scroll. And the people no longer had priests who could read from the scroll, but they had a voice that came from, mount, from the mountains, usually from a cave. Hmm. And that voice informed them of what they should do. So I, I found it intriguing and wondered how did it all fit together.
1: Okay. So you start to hear this story and these traditions, and you hear a lot of what sounds like parallel to some of the themes you know from your own upbringing in the Old Testament Scripture. So what would you do next?
0: So I I started doing wider research, and I um, found the way the missionaries, the early missionaries, had approached this. And of course, they had seen the voice from the hills as a threat to what they wanted to do. And so they dismissed a lot of what was coming out of the hills, what was coming from the institution of Mwali. I'm not saying that's wrong. I think that's the best the missionaries could do at that time. But it was interesting that there are oral traditions that said that the voice on the hills predicted that people with eyes like cats would come, and they would have a book in one hand, they would have money in the other hand, though though the original transcriptions say it it would have buttons in the other hand, which would—that stood for money. Sure. And these predictions were from— preceded the missionaries coming in the 1800s. And then when the missionaries did come in the 1800s, the chiefs, everyone were, were very prepared. And they, whatever the missionaries said, they spread the word into their people that we should listen to these people because of this prediction that was there. And so the fantastic oral traditions that what it seems to have been, was that 2,500 years ago, As best I can tell, my research in uh, Botswana Notes and Records, this is published in articles in in Botswana and in their national archives. As best as we can tell from all the people groups that are around, the Kalanga-speaking people groups, a group of Jewish traders 2,500 years ago came from Yemen and crossed over into Africa, came down the coast, went to Mozambique, went across into Zimbabwe, and there they established the Great Zimbabwe complex that was there. And then something happened. Okay. Something happened there that caused people to disperse, and Great Zimbabwe was no more.
1: Right, and that's, yeah, that's historical record. That's all historical oh, you record. You can see that from lots of different sources. Yeah. Yes,
0: from different different, different sources. Ah. And it seems like it is possible that the Kalanga people maintained the worship of Mwali okay. as... Mali was a special god. Of course, it became diffuse because there's nothing written down. It's just all oral tradition. And some people said, well, Mali was only a rain god or Mali was a spirit, especially in the last hundred years. Mm -hmm. But when you look at the oral traditions that came down, we see maybe, and I'm not saying it is, but it looks like it could possibly be that the Mwali, or Yahweh, the worship of Yahweh, was initiated in Africa and maintained as best as possible through an institution. Yeah, it came, that's the yeah. way it, it really came to us.
1: That's fascinating. So in your research, did was there any research that indicated, okay, the missionaries heard this voice, or they just knew of the story from the, the people, just out of curiosity? They, they heard the story. They heard yeah, the story. They, so the voice had stopped because they had predicted it predicted itself
0: when people with eyes like cats uh, right. would come okay. uh, with the book in their hand then they would that you would no longer hear that voice yep. after that that was part of the prediction or the prophecy from the voice
1: right and of course you mentioned that the those missionaries kind of dismissed that story in some way and and of course we'd both acknowledge that as you already said they did the best they could but still let me ask like why do you think they dismissed it and maybe what did they miss out on by by not sort of in leaning in and embracing that a little bit more.
0: Well, I have to ask the question is was God preparing the way? And if God right. was was preparing the way through this, by rejecting it, then they rejected much of the culture and set the culture against the new Christian church that was coming into. Okay. And so they set themselves apart from the culture rather than bringing God's word into the culture or saying we can be a part of the, the we can build on what has come before. Right. And uh, okay. that was maybe the opportunity that was missed. I'm happy to say that in 2018, the Kalanga full Bible was translated and there was much rejoicing. And uh, the lost book then has returned to right. the Kalanga people in many ways. And uh, people to have God's Word through their own language, through this language called Kalanga, which was a special, se- seems to be a special set-apart l- language from the old days that emerged from the worship of Mwali. Yeah, yeah pretty exciting to see that fulfilled.
1: Now, does the, the Kalanga Bible use Mwali for God, or Nzimu for God, or any ideas on that one?
0: Well, that's part of the, the interest of the context when you're working in Bible translation. The First missionaries had rejected the concept of that the word moali could have anything to do with God or anything. Then they had really identified the term Wali as for a kind of the, the spirits on the hills, the something that was not t- attached to the Hebrew God or in any kind of way. It was just a, a name for the rain god or the name for the evil spirit that, that was there. Mm. And so they did not use that in Christian circles. And so once you set a tradition of what you can do and what you cannot do by rejecting the word moali, then you have a controversy if you try to bring that back into the church because... People that have accepted Christianity and are part of the Christianity have accepted the traditions brought by the missionaries, mm. and so there was a conflict between whether to use Mali as the old people had understood it, or to use Mali as the Christian traditions are in the church. We actually had the same interesting barrier mm-hmm. to using traditional songs uh, as ways of putting Scripture forth because the scripture, the songs brought by the missionaries were hymns from Germany and from Europe, and that had become the traditional ways to worship God in church. And by bringing any other forms in, then it was breaking the tradition, the Christian traditions, and uh, trying to bring in cultural uh, traditions. And so as we went through it, we realized that not always is it possible to use the word Mwali in the Bible translation, rather that the word "nzimu" should be used and often is used in the New Translation of the New Testament.
1: Sure, and that, of course, then brings to light an aspect of Bible translation that may not be apparent to to all our listeners, is that you're doing this work in consultation with the community, so you're not just kind of in a lab saying, you know, I've researched all this stuff, and obviously the correct answer is, Molly, there, there's still that dynamic of, consultation with the community and the church and the expectations and the in the positive sense of the term the compromise the give and take and and this is not unique to the Kalanga project that you you have different options for what you might call god and you have to work through those and each of them have possible benefits and and possible downsides and and in consultation with the church you kind of make a choice and hopefully are united around it and go with it but it's a fascinating story about all these parallels to the Hebrew scriptures and the practices and and the history so so again you mentioned you yourself at first dismissed this but then what what kind of changed your mind and and made you think well maybe I should listen to this more and do all of this research that resulted in you know a couple of articles that you wrote
0: yeah and I do have to say that you have to realize that the research is going on as the Bible translation is sure. going on right and there may be a revision to the Bible translation someday that maybe takes some of this research and says well we should revise the, uh, what we have sure. uh, right now because mm-hmm. the feelings will have changed, thoughts will have changed on it, but many of these conclusions have come out after the Bible translation is 99% Sure uh, Completed And the testing uh, is, Has pointed to This is the way The Christian church Wanted it At, at that particular time Right I, I found the intrigue uh, The questions The unanswered yeah. questions If right. if The pastor That I was talking to Reverend uh, Motibi Was Really believing These oral traditions And he had All of these oral traditions This data That was coming forth The data of evidence Became uh, Just Overwhelming of this institution that was there set up to worship Mwali and to keep the Kalunga people safe through the years. And I'm talking hundreds and hundreds of years that this seems to have emerged out. So the details were murky, and there was no nothing to go back to except these oral traditions that were being told. And so we wrote all those oral traditions down and referred it to Botswana Notes and Records before additional research and to see maybe things will be connected even better into the future. So all we can do is, we can only ask the questions, is was Mwali the uh, Hebrew God, uh, Yahweh, that was maintained, the worship of Yahweh was maintained through these many years, uh, through all these travels, and kept the people that spoke Kalanga and worshiped uh, Kalanga safe in that way. That was their belief, as seen through the oral traditions. And I have to say, I don't know. Right. But it sure is an intriguing story.
1: It definitely is. And it sort of leads to a broader topic or question that, that missionaries and missiologists have to deal with under a term of contextualization, if you will. So here you have on one hand, if we go back to those, those missionaries that came in the 1800s, they have a certain idea of what their task is to do and uh, what they are, what they have with them. And then you have the context that they were in and certain beliefs and things like that. And so then you can see sort of a a scale. Like on one hand, the, the missionaries sort of approached it as we have a certain culture and terminology and what we bring replaces what's already there. But another approach could have been to say, there's a lot that lines up here and maybe there's something redemptive in there, and that kind of approaches mission then as the idea if I'm not bringing God with me, that God's already there somehow, and I'm, I don't know, I shouldn't say I, He is redeeming the culture or bringing to light the truth and clarifying with the Word of God. So, but, so in that whole idea of contextualization, I mean, how do you wrestle with that? It's just now speaking, you know, as a missiologist yourself uh, to other folks who are also wrestling in mission, like how do you begin to try to wrestle through those issues?
0: Well, in Lutheran Bible Translators, really we have made the nucleus of mission is reducing the barriers to the gospel so that people can understand what God has to say to them. And I do have to say those first missionaries many years ago, they tried to do a Bible translation and they began their Bible translation. If you go back and look at it critically, it wasn't very good. Uh, They tried to bring their own thoughts and put that right into the Bible translation without really consulting with people in the culture, uh, finding out how the people think, rather it was more of, we're going to tell you exactly what God's Word has to say. Right. And that is one approach, and it was an early approach that we did in Bible translation, or I'm going to say the Bible translation movement did. Right. The approach now is so much more, is that let's work with people in the community right. so that God's Word addresses what God has to say in ways that the community understands and uh hits the felt needs of the community. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean you change God's word, anything, but you're reducing the barriers. The gospel is all it needs to be. But if we put up barriers by bad translation, if we put up barriers by bringing forms from outside that people do not understand, they do not see God in those forms, then we have raised barriers to what God is trying to do in that culture, which is to call people to him, call people into his story of salvation through the gospel. And so that is our approach in Lutheran Bible Translators. How do we reduce the barriers?
1: Right. And there are barriers to the gospel in any case, right? Even if the missionaries, when they first came, or at any point along the line said, okay, we see this context and we see these beliefs, there's still barriers to the gospel because they are not driven from the gospel. Like at a certain point, it even says in Scripture that it's apparent and evident by creation that there is a creator, but you can't know that there's a God who loves you or a Savior named Jesus who redeemed you unless somebody proclaims that to you. So there's still barriers. But I think that what you've really made clear is not only are you looking for ways to reduce barriers to the gospel, you're also looking to try to ensure that you don't create new ones. You want to comment on that? And
0: generally, our human uh, uh, our human propensity is to erect barriers. We Even when we do it unknowingly, even when we move forward with great intentions. Sometimes we erect barriers and we only find those. It it is a challenge to find the barriers that we have raised up and say it's not working. People are not perceiving the gospel through those particular forms. And I do have to say of those first missionaries that they did their best. But all they knew was their form of Christianity from Europe when they came in the 1800s. And so they reduplicated those particular forms of Christianity. Certain people were attracted to that, but the majority were not. It just set up a kind of a parallel understanding of what the gospel was, the people who practiced these forms uh, that they didn't really understand what was happening, but they were faithful in it versus the people who said, we're not getting anything out of the gospel. That's why I'm ecstatic that the Bible translation has come to the Kalanga people. They can read God's word for themselves. They can discover what God is having to say to them and the uh, especially when God's Word comes through your own language, that's the biggest barrier you have. Absolutely. When you can't understand what God's Word has to say, or you cannot f- understand the forms the Gospel is encapsulated in, right. that's, nothing's happening uh, with that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Just uh, uh, on the day that we're recording here in our staff devotions, we just read or listened to in Living Water uh, Acts 22, where it begins with Paul In front of this huge riot that's making all this commotion and he's been speaking to the guys in the barracks in greek but he turns around and starts to speak in the language of the hebrews to the people and immediately they're quiet it's just you know he removed even in that case all the barriers to listening to what he had to say and that's one of the the really cool things about working in language as a strategy for mission and reducing barriers is to to find that way, so sorry, maybe I should let you comment on that.
0: Yeah, no such yeah. a. It's a way that's uh, looking at things backwards. Yeah. Is rather than saying what we're doing is how do we make the gospel more effective. Uh, the gospel is all that needs to be. Rather, let's take the barriers down so that people can see Jesus Christ in what we're proclaiming.
1: Yeah, so now let's say, you know, it's 2022 going into 2023. There's, let's say that somewhere in the world there's a missionary going to a place, a new place, or you know, one of the many churches that we're partnered with that's moving out into the next language community next to them, and they're starting to work on how to share the gospel with them, and maybe they would encounter any kind of story similar to what you've mentioned here, so it's all hypothetical, right? But like from your missiological background and perspective, what could they learn from your research here and, and what was done in the Kalanga Project?
0: Well, that's in Lutheran Bible translators, one thing we are, we're learners first, mm-hmm. and uh, we're missionaries second. Uh, we, uh, we need to learn where the barriers are so that we can reduce those barriers. It, I just kind of shuddered some of the things I did early <laughs> in my career yeah. unknowingly, dismissing from my own knowledge base, which was fairly limited, but really seeing God at work in a bigger way and being open to seeing God at work in a, in a bigger way. Even though I may see something and I don't understand, if the local people are perceiving it and it's pointing to who Jesus is, I think it's, it's, it could be a positive experience for them. And uh, God is calling them through the gospel into the story of their salvation. And uh, they respond when yeah. they experience that. And so let me not get in the way. How can I work with them so that in through relationship, we both grow in Christ together?
1: Yeah. And so let's say there's a listener out there that's saying, okay, that sounds really good, but that also sounds dangerous, and how do we not slip into something that... Just becomes syncretism Sync- or something like that? Like, what would you, how that, would you respond to that?
0: That is totally the danger. Yes. Yeah. I mean, how do you find that middle ground? Because it's so easy to be criticized if you jump on one side or the other side. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, I've seen syncretism where people, especially in Africa, think that if you go to church every Sunday, somehow you're pleasing God. Yeah. And that's a syncretistic act, thinking like my act makes God to be happy. Right. Uh, so we have to be so careful that we don't jump off on either side of that. And right. how do we learn and marvel at what God is doing in the world?
1: That's yeah, that's true. And that's, I don't think that's only in Africa where people think that too. No. So that that's, uh sometimes, if we really examine how we're approaching God, we could see we could probably find some syncretism in our own lives too.
0: Yeah, there's a story from when yeah. I was in eighth grade, and uh, I had a pair of socks, yep. and um, I called them my lucky socks. When I wore those socks. I played basketball better than when I did not wear those socks. And that is a total syncretistic act in the sense that my action by putting on these socks made me play basketball better. I never cracked the first team, (laughs) uh, so I wasn't too good. But my belief was that I could do something that made something called luck, some spiritual power, uh, do something. And so our human nature is to look at what we do and somehow think we're gaining favor from from God. It's just the opposite of that. God is, uh, He has given His Son Jesus Christ. That's the first act. We respond to what He has done, and that is serving in God's mission.
1: Yep, and so counter to, I think, our human nature. And it's just amazing how universally uh, the impulse within humanity, whether Christian or have never heard of Christ or other religions, there's still this idea that I need to do something so then I can be in the right space. And the just earth-changing, the world-changing message of Christianity as God has acted definitively in Jesus Christ, and you can respond to that.
0: And And that's the message of Scripture. I mean, this is the 500th anniversary of Luther's translation of the German New Testament into common German. That changed the world, because people had access to the Gospel, the barriers were removed. Now... That translation has been revised over and over as languages change, changed, as people has changed, but the gospel is still the same. We continue to remove barriers wherever we find them, however we find them, but in the meantime, we're doing our best that the gospel goes forth into the whole world.
1: Well, thank you very much for being with us today. It's fascinating research and just an amazing story of how God may have been at work in the world in ways that we don't often expect, but that's kind of who God is, right? He works in ways we don't expect and invites us to respond. So appreciate you being with us today, and uh, Sharon, and we're looking forward to the Lost Book video.
0: And you will enjoy the video. It brings some visual uh, to the story. It's not boring like me talking or anything <laughs> else, but uh, uh, it does bring some visual to it and gives a picture of what this means to the Kalanga people and how God is faithful to us throughout the ages.
1: Again, every time I watch the video that we're going to share with the listeners and then have that conversation with Mike and this. I'm always impressed at just, and wondering about, you know, how God is at work and and things that we don't expect in ways we don't expect. Mm -hmm. And that's, in my experience, it's just part of who God is, is Mm -hmm. that he's going to act in ways that you don't expect. And so you should be ready for that.
2: Right, right. Not placing God in that box and how he's building bridges. And, um, Preparing people's hearts to receive his word is just incredible. One of my pastors growing up, he talked about, you know, very much what we very often call within our church background of like common grace, like mm-hmm. things in creation yeah. that point to him as our creator. And then as we grow in, our faith, seeing him as our redeemer, our sustainer. But he said, this pastor said, every leaf on every tree is a post-it note from God saying, I am here. All right. And just how he was working in and through Kalanga people and their oral tradition and being able to build those bridges and how God's word ultimately, uh, in their own language, brings hope and, and light.
1: And it does ultimately illustrate that at a certain point, all of that points to God, but still somebody has to come along and say, there's Jesus, yes. and God loves you, and here's the evidence with yeah. Jesus. And then let's point back to all that other stuff and now reframe it in who we know we are in our identity in Christ, and here's how God's been telling you all along
2: yeah absolutely so we hope that you were enriched by this episode and we want to encourage you you'll see in the show notes the video of the lost book at the dedication of the Kalanga full bible in 2018 so you'll want to check that video out in the show notes and we want to encourage you as well we want this bible translation movement that we get to be a part of to be a household name if you will for people around the world to celebrate Bible translation ministry. So we want to encourage you, if you have been encouraged by this podcast, if you have been enlightened, if there's been a tidbit that you are just really wanting to share with your friends, family, neighbors, uh, to to share this podcast out with the world.
1: Absolutely. And if if you're listening on whatever podcast platform you use, there's almost inevitably going to be some kind of button to share. You push that and it'll like give you a social media option. So if you use Facebook or Instagram, you know, push that and it'll share it out there. You can have a chance to put a little note there. If you listened by uh, clicking on an email, just forward that email to some folks and and, uh, share this content. We'd really love to have more people really digging in and, and being encouraged by how God's at work around the world. Thank you for listening to the Essentially Translatable Podcast brought to you by Lutheran Bible Translators. You can find past episodes of the podcast at lbt.org slash podcast or subscribe on Audible, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow Lutheran Bible Translators' social media channels on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, or go to lbt.org to find out how you can get involved in the Bible translation movement and put God's Word in their hands. The Essentially Translatable Podcast is produced and edited by Andrew Olson. Our executive producer is Emily Wilson. Podcast artwork was designed by Caleb Rodewald and Sarah Radowski. Music written and performed by Rob Veit. I'm Rich Radowski. So long for now.